cliffcentral.com. Colonel, it's good to see you. Gareth, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. It's uh, it's exciting to be here. Uh, we've we've done this before, but remotely. Yeah. When I was in the states, you're here back That's in right. South Africa. So uh, last time I was here for that month visit uh, last, well, for you guys, spring, fall yeah. for us, August, September, it was a uh, rush time. You were busy. I was busy. We didn't get a chance to link up. Get, yeah. This time it's worked out. Well, let me remind everybody, you're a retired U.S. Army colonel, extensive security and international development and education experience all over the world, but especially here in Africa. And you're a big fan of South Africa. You come here often. You love rugby. Um, yes, I do. <laughs> I, although I, I might not be safe. This weekend, I have press credentials. I'm covering the Stormers Bulls game at Loftus. Oh, nice. Uh, of course, as a journalist, I'll have to be neutral, not wear my Stormers jersey till after the game. <laughs> but I have secured a few bodyguards after the game when I put on my Stormers jersey at the Marriott. You'll need them. People are welcome to join me there. I'll be fighting off the jiu-jitsu. The you'll, need, you'll need the, the bodyguards. <laughs> so last time, I remember you and I had a really good chat about kind of U.S. politics, local politics, South Africa, what you think things going wrong here and i mean you come here often enough to know more than most south africans i i'm I'm scared to say but it's true so how do you think with the benefit of like a couple of years now of being being a regular visitor what what do you think's going on here and how do you feel things are either declining or improving because i i speak to local friends and the news isn't always good well, more than a couple of years. It's about 30 years I've been coming to South Africa. And, of course, because of the hiatus, we'll call it, because mm-hmm. of, <coughs> for a few years there, I'll call it the hiatus, I was unable to travel internationally after I retired from the Army in 2019. So my first visit was back, uh, well, 2018 I was here, and then it wasn't again until 2021 when I mm-hmm. came, or excuse me, 20, was this 2022, gosh, 2022. So I came last August, September. It's the first time. I saw a demonstrable difference in, in how things were here, just economically, how bad things were. So many businesses, so many lodges, bed and breakfasts, hotels that I stayed at, restaurants are gone, yeah. vaporized, completely yeah. destroyed by the lockdown. Um, well, let's just yeah. talk about that sure. for starters because I, I, I still haven't bitched enough about this. Let's, let's. And, and I, it's your I know platform. I'm happy to join you. <laughs> we, we had this conversation before and you and I both said the – the mistakes that these governments have made, your government in the U.S., yes. our government here, pretty much all of them except Sweden, are actually – And in, Taiwan. Are inexcusable. I mean the fact that they've done such absolute lasting damage to the population, to healthcare, to the economy, to everything else, and that they've gotten away with it is absolutely outrageous. And I don't think there are enough people who are, who are, as, who are as angry as we are. I mean, I, I really think that there needs to be some people that some people need to be hauled in front of tribunals, put on trial and put into jail for the damage they've done. If you did this in any other place and time, the government would be held to ransom. They'd have their feet put to the fire. Why do you think that they've gotten away with this all over the world? Well, before I answer that, let me say I agree with you 100 percent, 100 percent. In fact, these are crimes against humanity. Yeah. And, and they, sadly. Do you remember not, people couldn't, I mean, just from a purely emotive point of view, people couldn't visit their dying relatives in hospital. My mother couldn't go to hospital for her cancer treatments and is dead as a consequence. There we go. There's so a death actual, that they need to answer for. There we go. She was, she had stage four metastatic lung cancer, which was a four month life expectancy. But they gave her one of those newer drugs from Abbott, I think it was Cutruda or Truvada, one of those. But you have to have intravenous injections twice a month mm-hmm. at the facility. So she went to the hospital for 18 months. Her cancer froze and started to diminish. She was living a good life. She was taken off that medication because she was no longer allowed because only COVID patients could go to the hospital. Right. And within 90 days, she had cancer throughout her body and was dead within five months. I'm so, so, that's, I'm so sorry. No, thank you. It's the death yeah. I attribute to this. And yeah, so why did they get away with it? Because I, I don't know. I guess while the rest of us were looking the other way, our governments were taken over by a cabal of leftists around the world. I mean, mm. thank goodness uh, Mr. Ed is gone in New Zealand, just in our and She's finally gone. But Dan Morrison, Scott Andrews in Australia, uh, what we see here in South Africa with the ANC ruling in this country, in the United you're States. Mr. Ed, you're talking about Jacinda Ardern. Yes, yeah, Mr. Ed, you, you know. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I said something horrible about her on Instagram the other day, and I got people calling me a misogynist and all kinds of oh, things. And please. I said, you know what? That would count for something if this woman hadn't been so terrible at her job. Yes. And I would accept that criticism if I wasn't also criticizing 
male leaders all over the world, Trudeau and company, who've done as bad a job. How the hell have these leftists, because you hit the nail on the head there, I think we can skip right over the rest of it. How have they become so absolutely unquestionably powerful? And and why is it that people still see them as the people who are compassionate and caring and want to help people? They're when not. They, when they've they're, proven they're the very people that are exactly what they accuse everyone else of being. And they've proven it with their reaction to COVID. They've done more damage than good. They oh, are not indeed. the compassionate people. No. No, and they've gotten away with it because, at least in America, they've done exactly what Ronald Reagan warned everyone about. They've used their own institutions against us. You win democratic elections, and there are consequences to them. And as a result, we see what's happened in the past, well, under Obama, and now we see it under Biden, what's happening, just totally irrational governmental decisions. Our national debt, $32 trillion, and just a decade ago, 12 years ago, it was $11 trillion. And a decade before that, it was $3 trillion. This is insane. And that's not even the full size, but when you include state, county, municipal, mm-hmm. corporate, personal, mortgage debt, Unfunded pension liabilities. America owes over $200 trillion, mostly to Americans. It's, our foreign debt isn't the issue. It's mostly Americans hold two-thirds of our debt. But that's an insane. Our GDP is only $27 tri- uh, trillion a year. It's insane. When, when will we pay this debt off? And they're burying us. I, you have to wonder if there isn't some big conspiracy to destroy our currency with quantitative easing, printing more money. In fact, if it hadn't been for... The abuse of the dollar, the euro would have collapsed a few years ago with the Greece and the Italy and yeah, the Spain and that. the Ireland crisis. Austerity. Yeah. Which, yeah. which didn't seem to be austere enough. How is it that your government has come to such a place where I saw Joe Biden the other day claiming credit for reducing the insulin price, which <laughs> well, he did in the state of the, of the, of the, of the union address, which was done under Donald Trump. He, yes. he, he, if anything, he put it on pause, remember? Well, Gary, what kind of, Joe like, Biden is a serial plagiarist. He's a serial liar. I mean, it's documented. I don't know how anybody falls for it. Didn't he say he came here to South Africa and he, he, he basically. <laughs> I, I, I met Nelson Mandela <laughs> yeah. at, uh, at, uh, at Robben Island in Soweto. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Folks, Soweto is an acronym. It stands for Southwest Townships located not too far from here right. in Johannesburg. Right. It's not an island off the coast of Cape Town. It's about, so, miles so let's apart. talk about your president, okay? Oh, sure. <laughs> because I hear people saying that he's demented, that he's senile, that he no longer has the cognitive abilities that you need to carry around the nuclear football, let alone all the other disastrous decisions he's already made and has already uh, injured the American state with. I mean, you talk about this, this huge debt. He's printed more money mm. in the course of his presidency than has ever been created in all of human history. Well, the, but the damage done, not just to our economy. Is he crazy? Away. Is he old? Is he senile? Is he oh, crazy? Oh, he's definitely old. Is he, well, here, here, <laughs> ask this question, Gary. When Trump came to office, they, they hired psychologists to determine his cognitive ability from mm-hmm. a distance. Where are the, the, the psychologists determining Joe Biden's? We have lay people going, he's wacko. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't need a psychologist. It's interesting. There's no effort to follow what's going on with Biden, but look, look at our foreign policy. It's, it's incredible. Not just Biden, but what the Democrats in particular do and their friends in the Republican party who are willing accomplices, like fellow travelers, the rhinos, Republicans in name only, not mm-hmm. true conservatives. They don't care what they do to U.S. foreign policy. There was a meeting between Trump and... Was this like Mitt Romney, that kind of guy? Well, he's one of those people. Yeah. And Mitch McConnell and Paul right. Ryan, who's no longer in government. But you put these people together. So they had a meeting with senators in, in the White House. And Trump was angry because they're proposing more foreign aid for Haiti. And he said, I don't want to give any more money to crap hole countries like Haiti mm-hmm. and countries in Africa. Right. And they came out and ran to the press podium and told the press what Trump said. That's classified material. Right. That's If you can't have a frank conversation to negotiate for foreign policy and for government expenditures, you can't have a government. And and that's what's been going on. Now, when, when Biden comes to office, um, first day, he gets he's, he's inaugurated on the 21st of January, 2021. Mm-hmm. Nine days later, Myanmar's <laughs> military overthrows a democratically elected government, a thoroughly corrupt but democratically elected government. And they begin prosecuting former members of parliament, executing them, attacking minorities throughout the country. What does Joe Biden do or say? Nothing. Six weeks mm-hmm. after he becomes president, Russia moves 70,000 troops to the border with Ukraine. What does he say? Nothing. Do you know what would have worked that summer? A bilateral exercise with Ukraine, the 18th Airborne uh, Air Corps going over there, 82nd Airborne, doing a bilateral exercise, showing a show of force to say, 
they're not allies, but we're friends with the Ukraines and with Ukraine. And in other words, again, another deterrence. point that people that people just breeze past in the conventional mainstream media is they say nothing about the fact that this Russia-Ukraine conflict could have been avoided from the get-go. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. It was only well, okay. Look, when Bush was president, Putin invaded Georgia. Mm-hmm. When Obama was president, he invaded Ukraine and the Donbass and in, in annexed, annexed Crimea. Uh, when Trump was president, he didn't evade anybody. He didn't. He didn't take any chances. Why? Because Trump is unpredictable. Because he thinks he's crazy. And he thought. And he thought he, this guy's dangerous. You don't know what he might do. Exactly. And funnily enough, as soon as Biden comes in, as soon as six weeks later, six right. weeks later, he's like, "Okay, there's a moron. There's a meat puppet in the in the White House. Let's just move." Well, in fact, your description is what I've been telling people since February 23rd of last year. Putin made the calculation that he'll never get someone as incompetent and inept in the White House ever again. Now's the time to act and take advantage of it. So that's what he did. All right. But a do, very terrible but, campaign, by the way. But, but do you think he is in any way capable of running things? And if he isn't... Biden. Who, yeah. Who Not is, at all. Okay, so who is running things then? Because... Uh, my evidently, guess would be Susan Rice and Barack Obama, to be well, honest. <laughs> but evidently there are things, there are decisions being made, very, very important decisions sure. that have an enormous and long tail uh, effect on what's going to happen in America for not just well, this, and around the world, not just this generation, but two generations into the future because of all the debt that they ca- they're calculating at the moment. Um, all the foreign policy decisions that have been made have been detrimental. Suddenly you're back in a war again. Um, it seems to me... Like there are a lot of very, very precipitous and dangerous things being decided on by a man who clearly is not in control. So if it's Susan Rice or Barack Obama, um, what is their end game? Like what, what did they want out of this? Because this almost looks like it's destruction on purpose. Well, there's a strong parallel with South Africa. It almost looks the same, doesn't it? It almost looks like the government. Our destruction, fine. our destruction is by incompetence. Well, but I th- you have to wonder if it isn't also by design at some point too. Never attribute to malice what can be explained <laughs> by by just pure incompetence. Okay, I'll accept your premise there, but uh, maybe it's the same thing: incompetence here. But you know, it, it, the thing that's really frustrating about this is that there's talk now. McCarthy became a speaker of the house uh, mm-hmm. from California. I covered that live eight hours a day for first week of January. It's quite exhausting. Uh, and people said, our democracy is in trouble. I'm like, no, this is democracy in action. You know, he's not the anointed King and people oppose that. You've got to negotiate and give and go. Well, he said he would never um, raise the debt ceiling. Now he's talking about a just debt ceiling level. What's frustrating about this is that these folks, um, the Democrats watch how they voted the past two years when Biden's been there. Almost without fail, every single member of the House Democrat votes for every bill, regardless of what it, they don't even read it. They just vote for it. And now McCarthy is talking about bipartisanship and Biden's calling for unity. No, forget that. Mm-hmm. Forget that. These people will not vote for America. They vote for their party. It's party over people. And that, that's, of course, the same thing you have in South Africa here. Latuli House matters more than South Africans do. Yeah. Caters are what matter. Cater lives matter. That, that's all that matters in South Africa. Right. And it's the same thing in the States. It's, it's politicians' lives matter. It's not the people. That doesn't mean there aren't legitimate members in the House and in the Senate and in our state government, but there are too many people that are beholden to political parties, and, and we see the outcome. It's, it's horrific. Now, this kind of thing in history, and I know you're a student of history as well, doesn't have a very pretty picture for the people in charge in the long run. And, and what I mean by that is that very often the people reach their boiling point. And in South Africa, there are already mutterings about a tax revolt. There are people who are saying they're not going to pay any. In fact, our, our SARS commissioner just last week was, was quoted in the news as saying, oh, no, South Africans will always do the right thing. But they might not. No, they especially, might not. Especially when, like American taxpayers, they feel like, hang on a second. And this is where I really want an opinion from you first, and then we can talk about tax more generally. Sure. But – People do get to a point where they've had enough. And the question I want to ask you is, do you think the average American taxpayer is happy to have trillions sent to the Ukraine? Do, do, do middle Americans, and I'm not talking about you know, uh, coastal elites who meet at dinner parties and cocktail parties and in, in uh, you know, rarefied spaces and clink their glasses and say, oh, it's terrible what's happening in the Ukraine because I don't even, think they, I don't even think they care, <laughs> yeah. to be perfectly honest. They, they tell each other they care. It's a kind of virtue, mm. virtue signaling to prove that you're pure of thought. 
But do you think the average American gives a damn about the Ukraine? No, I don't. I think that the entire situation with Ukraine from the outset, and, and let me be clear on my position before I answer it about this. Um, the war is unjustified. Putin is wrong, but so is Zelensky. So sure. is Biden. Biden is fueling a proxy war, as is Jens Stoltenberg at NATO. That's my view on it. This is all avoidable. what shouldn't have happened. Um, but I, I don't think the average American cares. And it's taken over a year for people to realize after seeing $145 billion going to Ukraine. And we're sending them M1 Abrams tanks. And it's a joke. We're sending one yeah. battalion's worth of tanks. It's not enough to change the conflict. It's just enough to show that we're still engaged pretty much, I guess, to pressure Russia. The whole thing was unnecessary. But Americans are getting angry about this now. They're angry that all this money is going there. And it seems endless. I became especially angry, not that I was a fan, but became especially angry when Zelensky spoke before our Congress, which is a privilege. Very few foreign mm -hmm. leaders have ever gotten to do that. That really gives you an elevated stature. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf came and spoke to our Congress. It was a big, important event for Liberia. So it's rare that it happens. He came and said, thank you for $45 billion. It's not enough. Give me more. Are you serious? Your wife was in Paris spending $60,000 buying clothing and bags in the middle of a war, and you want money from us? Take it, buddy. Foot sec. So I think a lot of Americans are tired of it. And tax in general, do you think it'll ever get to a point where Americans will be as pissed off as South Africans are right now, where they're saying, hmm, we're going to find alternate ways of not paying or of paying our taxes to a different set of people so that we can find a way around this corruption and, and, and this, this outrageous spending? Well, the tough thing is that for Americans, much of the taxation we have is baked in. You can't avoid it. So payroll taxes come out of your pay if you work for an employer, regardless of what you do. Let's just be clear about yeah. something. Sure. Prior to somewhere in the beginning of the 1900s, tax was not a part of the American system. Well, we had levies on foreign goods. We had excise taxes, things like that. But we did not have an income tax. There was no income tax. It took an amendment right. to the Constitution to allow that. The, one of the worst amendments in our country's history, because what's led that's led to the exorbitant growth of the federal government. It has because for those who are not familiar with the American system, we are a, a republic of sovereign states. So fifty states inside a republic. The central government is not supposed to be all powerful. Hmm. It was all weak under the the original Articles of Confederation. So we came up with the Constitution, and that system worked for a long time. But because of the imposition of the income tax, the government continually takes money out of the pocket and gets bigger and bigger and finds a reason to spend it. They keep talking about we have a taxation problem. We don't. We have a spending problem. If you look at what the budget is today, what it was 20 years ago, the government's taking in two and a half times the revenue it took in 20 years ago. It's not delivering 250% more services and goods, Hell and no. it's just spending more beyond that. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it did take a constitutional amendment to make income tax. But that's not the only tax. I pay federal income tax. I pay state income tax. I pay local income tax. Income tax then I pay sales tax in my state. Every state can levy that. Then I pay for my cable bill. My cable bill is, you're <laughs> going you're gonna to pass out when you hear this, folks. I pay almost 5000 rand a month for cable. Now, the reason I pay for that is because I need the broadband access to do my broadcasting. So it's, it's also kind of a business thing. But that bill, 48% of it is taxes and fees. My bill has gone from $159 a year and a half ago to $271 because of additional tax and fees that I have no say over. My property taxes for my house that I purchased have gone up 50% without a new valuation of my house in the last seven years. This is insane. When I look at everything I spend, people wow. talk about America being a low tax country. Over 60 to 70% of my income goes in taxes. It's insane. Yeah, you kind of have to ask yourself, how did it get this carried away? Mm -hmm. That a bunch of people who are doing very little productively yes are parasitically living off the rest of us. Good, good description. It's, it's, it kind of drives me a little bit crazy. Now, we've got to talk a bit about what's been going on with NATO. We've got to talk a little bit about the Ukraine. And you mentioned already that you think that it's, it was avoidable, but obviously now that, you know, We're that, in it. that horse is bolted. We're in it, yeah. So how do, you, how do you see this, especially with your military experience, how do you see this wrapping up because i've spoken to a couple of people recently most impressive guy was last week um he's a, an expert on russia and the ukraine and he's been you know he's been uh, in and out of moscow for years and he's told me about the wagner group and mm. what their involvement is it sounds to me like neither putin nor zelensky at the moment have any real incentive to wrap this up and to Correct. get back to peace and to allow people to live their lives and to allow normal trade and, and for the resumption of, of relations between countries. They want this to carry on. Both of them are incentivized against ending the war. 
Absolutely. And that's been my argument from the get-go. There is no incentive. Why is no one talking about the Minsk agreement? Why has there not yeah. been a single offer? To, where is Biden's press uh, is offered to do a peace conference? Where's that at? Never happened. Where's NATO's efforts? In, where's the European Union who desperately needs natural gas because of their fullest decisions like the Germans abandoning their nuclear power industry and now they're wholly dependent on Russian gas? Where is that effort at? There is no effort to end this war by anybody. No mm-hmm. legitimate effort. We hear a little nonsense that Putin is ready to negotiate that Zelensky, but there aren't real negotiating terms. Zelensky says in order to negotiate, you have to turn over the Crimea. Let's just be realistic. Russia's not going to give up the Crimea. Well, Obama let that happen and did nothing about it. Not that it was his place to stop no. it. It's not going to change. It's a, it's a fait accompli. The only way you're going to get the Crimea back is to conquer it. And Ukraine doesn't have the capacity to do that. So both parties have nothing to gain by ending the war and everything. To, look, Zelensky's getting money, world fame, attention. Yeah. I mean, he, he used to be a penis piano player. You know, that's what he did on stage. He used his penis to play a piano. And he's president of, 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 of Ukraine. That doesn't mean he's not capable, but I'm just giving you an idea about the background, who the guy is. So neither one of these are credible actors, and neither is Biden or NATO at trying to end this conflict. Uh, people talk about the military-industrial complex, and that's what's fueling it. I think that's nonsense. The amount of money, it's billions, but the amount of money going to defense industry isn't what's driving this. The geopolitical distraction is what's driving this from the Western perspective. While our governments are doing things that people aren't paying attention to, they're focusing on Ukraine. Things are happening behind the scenes. We have crazy legislation being um, introduced in Congress all the time. That's been put to a stop with Republicans taking over the House for the short term. But if the Democrats, so what, did, again, what, did, what do you think? Because the Republicans have only really been there for a short while. Yes. But one of the things I think everyone's talking about is the Twitter files and yeah. the fact that these Twitter execs were grilled the other day that by the Republicans. So that was something to see. And it, it may just be theater. A lot of it is because this doesn't really affect the way that ordinary people's lives are lived. Maybe as much as some of the, 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 the bills, the spending bills that they've passed in the previous uh, Congress. But it does affect people because this is the world's town square. This is where oh, people exercise their freedom of speech. So in context, how, do you, how important do you think this is? Well, I think it's critically important for people to see it. But there's, there's an effort by the government and, and by the political left in the mainstream media, the legacy media, and also, you know, the propagandists for the government to try to distract from it, saying it's just there's nothing to it. Mm. I saw The Hill write an article basically saying it's a big nothing burger when that's actually not the case at all. They've, they've caught these people red handed. I mean, when when the government, through the Federal Bureau of Investigation, sends a request to a private media company to stop someone's account from doing something or give them access to data from that account, if they do that without a warrant from a judge, from a duly appointed judge – then they're acting on behalf of the FBI illegally. Correct. That is a violation of the First Amendment of the Constitution. There is no higher violation of our law. And the fact that the leftists and the media run around saying that there's been no violation, the Republicans have nothing here, it's nothing, Burger, is utter nonsense. Most of us knew, those that's involved in social media, knew that this sort of thing was happening. I can attest to it personally from my experience on YouTube, what they did to me repeatedly. Yeah. It's genuine. It's real. And it's not just wackadoodles. I don't run around and go, Dominion, Dominion, you know, ooh, aliens from the sky. Although one of our generals is saying UFOs are bad. I saw you. I wanted to ask you about Well, listen, I mean, they're already going to say, just seeing you and me sitting, talking to each other in a studio, someone somewhere is going to say, oh, my God, this is like some right-wing conspiracy theory. Of course. Well, we, we lack show. sufficient pigmentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we probably have the wrong gender oh, analysis. Oh, no. No, we're, we're screwed. No one wants to hear from us, right? But the fact is, like, there's so much weird shit going on at the moment that you cannot help but ask these questions. <laughs> yeah. And I'm afraid if COVID did anything, I was very worried at the beginning of COVID because I thought, oh, oh, government's back in business all over the world. Yeah. Now they're going to start, you know, getting involved in our lives in ways that we thought we were rid of them. Um, but actually what COVID's done by showing how incompetent and how bad at their job these guys are and how nefarious they are, and also, frankly, how deleterious they are to our actual well-being. Mm. I think they've done them. They've shot themselves in the foot. I reckon there are probably a lot of people in big government world who were saying to themselves, "Oh, this COVID thing is great because it gives us a chance to clamp down again." And sure, they did that, but I think they're going to have a very tough time doing it again. And it's made a lot more people suspicious of them than might have been before. Well, last year at the Conservative Political Action Convention in Orlando, which I went to as a journalist, uh, there was uh, someone put shirts out that they're selling. You know, they're always selling stuff like that at these events. Mm. And there's a, there's a shirt and a cap, which I have. It says, awake, not woke. And I think what's happened because <laughs> of the, the scam or the pan or whatever you want to call this past few years, a lot of people around the world are actually awake now. 
And, and I see that here in South Africa. If I could just divert to that for a second. You know, when I was here six months ago and in the past, you find a lot of South Africans are angry about, you know, everything under the sun with good reason. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing country, but lots of shortcomings, unfortunately. We all have them. Six months ago, I talked to Zulu, Venda, uh, Ndebele, Kosa. Um, I met a few Koyansan, also Afrikaners, Portuguese, German, South sure. Africans. And people were angry. And, and of course, a lot of the white folks were angry at the ANC. Not all, but a lot were angry at the ANC. This time in KZN, in the Free State, in the Western Cape, and now here in Haltang, what I've had is – look, I talk to petrol station attendants because I tip them all the time because they don't make much money and they give good service. Cool. I talk to waiters. I talk to clerks or people like to say clerks in the, in the shopping mm-hmm. stores. I talk to everybody because I find everybody interesting at some level. And what I'm finding this time is almost to a man and woman, everyone I've talked to in South Africa is angry, but there's a difference. Most are angry at the African National Congress. And that doesn't bode well for 2024 for the ANC. A lot can change between now and then, between now and then but a lot are angry. And to me, that, that's, that's an indication that maybe some people are waking up. You know, it's well, like even, it'll... even believe it or not, people in the media are starting to see that. There are a lot of people who yeah, are it's like, it's shocking you know, to see the media change its tone the last five or six months. Well, some of them. I mean, there's still going to be that kind of pray for Cyril crowd who, mm. you know, who will back the president no matter what. Well, we know why, because largely they're just a bunch of cowards. Um, it's not particularly ideological or anything else. And corporate South Africa is also a bunch of cowards. Oh, no doubt about it. They're, they're part and parcel of this whole mess. You know, one of the problems with South Africa's economy is that people think you have all these brands. But, I mean, a lot of the – all these retail chains and fast food places are all owned by one or two major corporate conglomerates like famous brands owns all these things. Edgar's owned But also a lot, of them, a lot of them are also owned by foreign that's true too. Businesses. Yeah. And the guys who run it here are actually just agents locally yeah. for that brand. Yeah. So they're terrified to step out of line because they've got a nice cushy job. Fair you point. Know, and if you live well in South Africa, you live very well. Indeed. That is true. Okay. Let's just quickly circle back in yeah. the words of Jen Saki to, <laughs> to your That's comment right. earlier about this general. What's his name? Something with an H. Was, yeah, I, I heard him. him I heard him just this morning. So we got to talk about this. Yes. Some unidentified flying object f- shot down over the Great Lakes. It. They're not sure how it hectagonal shape. They're not sure how it stays aloft. <laughs> this is what the general said. He says he's not sure if it's a kind of propulsion system, if there's some sort of buoyancy created by a balloon. And we've had balloons in the air in the last <laughs> couple of days, haven't we? Yeah. What I mean, Clown. what is so? What is this when a general? says this in a press briefing and and i don't know whether <laughs> whether we want to go into the world of conspiracy theories and aliens or anything else but what the hell do you make of this because this is a very blatant admission by them that they shot something out of the sky that they didn't know what it was and they shot it down without knowing right that's that's a very good point that's a very frightening statement they would right never there. have admitted that publicly under any other administration i think they're only getting away with it cuz the president doesn't know what the hell's going on well just mention let's go back with trump's president imagine a general comes out and says, we shot something down we're not uh, eliminating the possibility it was alien they would pillar Trump. They would, even though a general said it. Well, that'd be the only I mean, story. Joe Biden didn't shoot down the Chinese spy balloon for what five days, <laughs> as it floated across multiple plane state missile and, and silo locations. And I, you know, and and then when he did, everyone was like, "Yeah, that's our man, Joe Biden, shooting yeah. things down." He's Late and tardy as ho. usual. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. But let's just put the Trump sure. Biden stuff aside. Yeah. It is pretty astonishing. That they would admit that they've shot something down and they don't know what it is. I agree. That's where the most, it comes from. That's or, the most frightening part of it. The most entertaining part is he, I can't dismiss that it's an alien origin. Yeah, that's that's entertaining. It's a big deal. I mean, you imagine but, those people who've been prepping, <laughs> yeah. who live in those underground bunkers, going, "Oh, I told you it was true," and finally we've got an admission from the federal government that it's true. <laughs> They're all descending on Area Fifty One now, or whatever, <laughs> in Nevada. No, but uh, that's. The fact that they shot down something that they couldn't identify is very frightening. I, if I was Canadian, I'd be concerned. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's right on the mm-hmm. border with Canada. They actually shut down our airspace for a radar blip the other day. Right. Have we become so incompetent that we can't even read radar screens anymore? Well, let me ask you this. Your transportation secretary who only got his job because he was gay. I mean, yes. who, 
That's, that's, that's why I got it. Is there, is there another reason? Well, there's the only reason the press was, secretary was has her job Pete, is because she's a lesbian and she's black. That's w- it. Was Pete Buttigieg like involved in transport? No, before? not at all. He was, was the mayor have- of a town of 8,000 and an abysmal failure in that city. And that's all he'd ever done in life. But he, but he, he, he has sex with men. So he's a great transportation. Well, but he, that wasn't even known until just before he ran for office <laughs> when that became publicly known. So, but I mean, that's his, his personal situation. Oh, not, not of interest God. to me. But his qualification to be Secretary of Transportation is is nil. Look, I'm better qualified to be the Minister of Electricity. By the way, I'm standing for Minister of Electricity for South Africa. Oh, good. Just so you know. Okay. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll consider, we'll put you in the pile. Okay. And my, my party is the Wyatt Army. Hashtag Wyatt Army. So. Yeah. You, you, well, sorry. You said Army. That's going to frighten the hell out of them. You're <laughs> an American. That frightens the hell out of them. Um, you're white. Uh, you, you're a man. Actually, I'm pink. You're a big problem. No, you can't. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to put yours at the bottom of the pile. Okay, but let's let's just settle into this conversation sure. a little bit because under Pete Buttigieg, just to illustrate my point, you had that that complete shutdown of American civil aviation for a while, right? He has completely screwed up the ports since COVID. Oh. Rail is now a problem. Apparently, there's this train that is just derailed in Ohio somewhere. On the border of Pennsylvania. And, and it's causing enormous natural damage. Water table, air, air quality. Well, sulfuric uh, acid in the air. Yeah. Uh, hydrochloric acid, or hydrochloric, I believe. Hydrochloric, hydrochloric acid. acid and phosgene. Yeah. These are, these are, Those are chem- war, that's a World chemical, War I chemical weapon. Yes. Right. So this is the Ministry of Transportation, the, the Department of Transportation's business. Yes. And... I, is he still on paternity leave or is there some other excuse? <laughs> I don't know. Look, uh, two things. Let's get to the train accident in a second, but let's go back to the thing. This is, this is ANC level incompetence. By oh the way. yeah. This is well, probably even better. I can speak about this because here in South Africa, as you know, we have ministers who have no qualification, who are parachuted into jobs that they are completely incompetent at and then when everything goes wrong they go oh, collective responsibility well i mean you, you have people who are permanent ministers that's all they do like linda susulu who lives off her parents name and rotates from one incompetence she to hasn't another. even she hasn't even pitched for parliamentary hearings where she is the important witness so well, yeah, I mean, and, you don't have to tell me about this. She approves the trip for the Tottenham sponsorship, yeah. and now she wants an investigation into yeah. it. Now it's not yeah. got nothing to do with her. Yeah, exactly. But Pete, Mayor Pete's the same. Oh, absolutely. He's he's just an empty vessel completely. But the two things I want to focus on very quickly, which will draw this to a point and make a lot of sense here, is that the ports was a, a total failure. Because we've offshored so much of our manufacturing to China – Mm-hmm. We're not alone. You've done the same. Mm-hmm. The world has done it. Because we've done that, we're highly dependent on cargo shipping and the arrival of goods coming in. Long Beach in California, San Diego, and all our ports on the West Coast were jammed with hundreds of cargo ships that couldn't get in because of the chaos that was taking place with longshoremen related to the lockdown and restrictions were taking place. And then there was mm-hmm. a strike at one point. And Buttigieg is on parental leave. And this leads to, you know, and it's not, this stuff has to come every day. A country, 330 million consumers, you don't just stop a shipment of DVD players and the next day there's DVD. No, you wind up with supply chain hiccups that repeat for months. And that has caused inflation. That has caused unavailability. And, and what I didn't know and I learned, and, and I always like learning things, is that, you know, we invented Tylenol. That's a set of mm-hmm. you know, that, that for headaches and such. Sure. Pain. We don't manufacture it. It's all manufactured in China. That's crazy. So basic things like over-the-counter medicines, we don't even make anymore when we have the capacity to do it. And Buttigieg exacerbated this situation with what I call Biden inflation, which is all entirely a consequence of his inept domestic macroeconomic policies and his foreign policy. All of that is why these prices are high. There's no reason for energy to be twice the price it was a couple years ago. And Biden runs around going, oh, well, the price of gasoline is only – no, it's still – 75% higher than the day he took office. So that's the first thing. The train thing, this is quite frightening, Gareth. The United States, people look at the United States, in Europe especially, and go, oh, Americans, their rail system is a joke. Yeah, because we don't have a reliable passenger rail service. It's just too big a country. It's too vast. It works for certain corridors like Boston cool. and New York. But they're, of course, claiming that comparing it to their own cities. And, yes, and exactly, which are densely packed and very small in size. Right. I mean, you could put Europe into the eastern United States, you know, western Europe. But we have the world's fastest, most efficient, and best freight rail system by far. We move freight rail better than anybody in the world beyond question. There's no doubt about it. But here's the thing. How does this happen? 
And why is it being covered? It's not even being covered by the mainstream media, the story you mentioned. It's being completely ignored. I have received multiple Telegram and WhatsApp messages from people in the States going, Chris, what's going on? I'm like, well, I'm in South Africa right now. I really can't tell you. But they're wondering why it's not in the news. This is scaring people. But the Chinese spy balloon was on news like like the OJ car chase. Exactly. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's Look, it is weird. And again, I've got to say before anybody hops on this and says – you know, this is two crazy people who believe in conspiracy theories. No, it turns out that a lot of those people who believed in the conspiracy theories ended up being right Yeah. on COVID and pretty much everything since. So here's the question I have to ask you. What do you think's really going on? And lay it all out there, even if it is conspiracy stuff. Like, what do you, what do you feel like these badly motivated people are actually after? What do they want? Well, it depends where you're talking about, but I think in general, it's about power and privilege. That's what these people want. These elites want power and privilege. Beyond that, I think that some of them actually believe, a small number actually think they're doing something right, not many. And others actually think, um, I suspect there are people that really want to just, you know, destroy the whole system and rebuild it because they won't be affected by it. I mean, the, the Bill Gates mm-hmm. and the Klaus Schwab's, and the Joe Bidens, they aren't affected by inflation or no. by fuel shortages or by load shedding or by people walking up and shooting you in the head at your gate. That, that doesn't happen to yeah. those people. They fly where they want on jets when they want. They go to Davos. They go, they go to Monte Carlo at their own leisure. The world doesn't revolve. It doesn't affect them the like way that affects the rest of Private security and all That's right. That's, too. you know, it's like, uh, you see these Hollywood celebrities complain about firearms and then they're walking around. They got four bodyguards with, with pistols on them, but we can't have firearms. Give me a break. No, I think, I think that it's a combination of things and ultimately it's about power and privilege. You know, in South Africa, for instance, it, it, we just mentioned this, you know, the blue light escorts, the egos for illiterate, uneducated or poorly performing members of parliament, ministers, you know, that, 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 that vote of no confidence, if it had been secret, the entire cabinet would have been gone here last year. There's no doubt about that. There would have been enough ANC members that bolted, mostly because they want those seats and they, the other people would have been dumped. But, but, these people live in a world that the rest of us don't deal with. I mean, you got to wonder how many of them actually got jabbed when they sat there for the photo and, and weren't getting saline what's going on. People talk about that, but they live in a completely different world and they like to lord over other people. And I don't know how this, how we got to the stage because 30 years ago, we defeated communism. The world's the peace dividend. The world's wonderful. And then we started stumbling through a series of international fiascos like the Balkans and Somalia mm-hmm. and, and many other things. Yep. And, and the world kind of, geopolitically lost its way for a few years. We went from a unipolar world at the end of the Cold War with just the U.S. to now a, a bipolar world with China's rise, maybe a tripolar world when you consider the European Union the third power. But I really think that um, a lot of these people, it's just it's about privilege. And, you know, I, I wonder about Bill Gates. What happened to Bill Gates? Yeah, what did, did he happen get bullied as a child? <laughs> what happened to him? I, I mean, mean I, he's I, a, he was a brilliant entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, so I... <laughs> I also don't want to like become ridiculous and say he's the one who's trying to kill off thousands and thousands of people. And, you know, he's behind some Machiavellian evil, you know, supreme leader of the reptiles or any of that nonsense. (laughs) But I do think, (laughs) I do think Bill Gates is, he's become like this very weird guy who's, you know, every time they ask him a question, someone asked him the other day about his, his private jet. His answer was so garbled and nonsense. It was all about paying carbon taxes and things. I mean, essentially, he's just looking for a place to hide when a question like that comes up. Exactly. So how much of this is principle? And you almost want to know who's paying the piper. And, and in his case, what's the point? I mean, he's got more wealth than he could ever spend. He could ever get. He's given away right. half his wealth. And he's still unbelievably wealthy, one of the wealthiest men in the world. You, you just have to wonder what's going on here. Now, the, what bothers me about all this stuff, Gareth, is that truth has just become a cheap commodity that's tossed aside. I mean, you talk, you mentioned carbon there. You know, I went to school and in science class, I learned that carbon is important. Carbon dioxide, trees and plants need it. You know, they release oxygen for us, release carbon dioxide, they absorb it. And without that, they don't, they don't do very well. And these people that want to reduce carbon, the, the things that they want to do is just absolutely ridiculous. So for instance, we're going to give South Africa $9.7 billion dollars between mm-hmm. the European Union and the United States, for the just energy transformation. So the South Africans right. don't you, Haven't you already coal. given it to us? No, no, not oh, to my knowledge, no. It's still coming, is it? No, we did give $711 million to Aspen Pharmacare to produce vaccines and gave them the intellectual property and the centrifuges and all the equipment to make it. Um, could you tell me where the first 
COVID vaccine from Aspen's been delivered in South Africa or, or Africa? I can't. $711 million. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, back to that. So, so we're going to give South Africa nearly $10 billion not to burn coal. So instead, yeah. we're going to ship it to Richards Bay, the world's largest coal terminal, ship it in kerosene-burning cargo ships, the worst polluting vessels on the planet, to Europe to go to German coal fire power plants, and they're going to burn it there. Now, I ask you, how does that save carbon? It doesn't. But they love the scheme. The Greenies love that because they're just frauds, total frauds. All right. So you're here in South Africa again. Um, what, what do you think that, that South Africa really needs? Because we hear about how, oh, in 2024, you even said this yourself, the ANC is going to be in trouble. But are the opposition parties ready to do what needs to be done? And when we see how they've all behaved in coalition, and look, some are more responsible than others for the collapse of these coalitions, I don't believe for a second that all of them have the best needs of the people in mind when they make these coalitions, when they make any decisions as part of these coalitions. But there are some who are doing better than others. How do you see this this landscape developing over the next two, three years? Because everybody says, oh, well, when the ANC loses 50%, then everything will get better. But I think that's a very naive, very childish way to look at things. I agree for a number of reasons. First off, the ANC is already below 50%. The 2020 municipal elections, they got 46% of the popular vote. But only 31% of the population that was eligible voted. That means that 13% of the electorate actually voted for the ANC. So that's well below 50%. Now, everyone else is below that, of course. So that's the first thing. Second thing, a year ago... After that election, now it's been over a year ago, I predicted that the ANC would get 38 to 42% in 2024 based on those circumstances. I stick with that estimate today, but I reserve the right to lower it going forward. If things continue to get worse, the ANC may do even more poorly. And the reason this election is so important is because I urge people for a year before the, unlike the political parties, I don't wait till 90 days before an election to start talking about it and handing out three you know, t-shirts and three, three, three piece streetwise from KFC, uh, you know, and putting posters up. That's what they're doing. That's what they all do. You know, well, not all, but most of them do. They hand out t-shirts and, and they put posters up 90 days. You must campaign 365 days a year, seven days a week, every day of the month. Bring people to your standard. You must convince them that you're there for their benefit and you represent them. You're not there for blue light escorts. You're not there for a salary. You're not there for perks. You'll get that stuff, but that's just remuneration for what you're doing for the people. But parties, by and large, don't do that. They no. just don't do that. They go and they disappear and you never hear from them again until selection time. Then your mobile rings. Hi, we're from the DA. Hi, we're from the ANC. We yep. like your vote. So the election coming up... <laughs> This is what I expect to happen. Uh, the ANC will probably get 38%, maybe less. That's my prediction. Wow, so that you, low, huh? You, you got me right here. You're predicting. Well, look, look, look at the last one. Because of the insurrection, July 2021, which was, was either allowed or orchestrated. I like the way you called that an insurrection. It is an insurrection. Yeah. It was an eternal insurrection. Was, was ANC. January the 6th an insurrection? No, that's a joke. That's an absolute joke. I was there as a journalist. I have six hours of video footage. Really? There was no insurrection. Okay, we'll get back At to that. At worst, there was a riot. All right, so let okay. me not dis- distract okay. you from 2021, your that was an internal insurrection in the ANC between the Radical Economic Transformation Faction and others. Because mm-hmm. you can't say that there's a Ramaphosa faction because no. he, does, he doesn't have friends. No, <laughs> he's just paying people to. Exactly. Yeah. So, so there isn't like it's his camp. So that was internal. And there was intentional effort, in my view, by people within the bureaucracy in the services, in the intelligence services, criminal police, intelligence, and in, in, in the government, and in SAPs, to not take action. And it shows up in the actions. The police were not prepared. They had not rehearsed. They did not have ammunition. They did not have resources. They didn't prepare key strategic points. And on June 29th of that year, I predicted that chaos. Not to that scale, Gareth. I mean, I had no idea 350,000 people were going to loot and 354 people were going to die that we know about. I didn't predict that, but I predicted it in Conlon there would be chaos, there would be looting, there would be riots all over KZN because of the situation. If I can do that from the states without spies on the ground and signals How intelligence. How come our intelligence services couldn't, exactly. couldn't pick up a damn thing? Exactly. What, but, well, again, never ascribe to malice what you can't explain with incompetence. Well, and incompetence may have very well played a big role there. But it's embarrassing when the SANDEF finally deployed days later, they didn't have rations. They had well, to go they jump didn't in the queue. They have ammo either. They had to well, ask civilians for ammunition. Well, the police didn't have it during the riots and people had to fly it down in private planes for them. But – when that internal insurrection happened, then let's roll forward to November 1st when the elections take place, municipal elections. 
The DA is fond of saying that uh, they're the only party that did well, but they're whistling past the cemetery. That's comical. You, you can't compare the 2019 election, which is what they're talking about, to 2021. That's national. This is a municipal mm-hmm. election. You have to look at 2016. In 2016, the ANC had 10.5 million votes in that election. In 2021, they had 8 million. They lost 31% of their voters. But look where they lost them. In KZN, people stayed away from the polls. The IFP had control, yeah. I think, eight municipalities before these elections. Now it has control of 16, not because they gained voters. They only gained 2%. The reason they have control of 16 is either an outright majority, a majority coalition, or a minority coalition because ANC voters didn't go vote. They voted by not voting, and that's key here. So they, I don't know what their figure was, numbers. I don't have that level of detail from, from the IEC about you know actually who voted, registered for the ANC in that province. But you can see that they, create, they cratered in, or K, yeah, cratered in, in, in KN, KZN. Um, in the rest of the country, I expect that to happen in the Western Cape and in Haoteng in the next election. It's not going to happen in the Eastern Cape. It's not going to happen in Mpumalanga, no. in Limpopo. Those strongholds and those people were there by and large still going to vote the way they have. But the ANC is in trouble. And I expect that they are going to need a coalition partner. Now, a lot of people think that the EFF is going to be a coalition partner. I don't think so. Why do you think? I don't Why think do that think Ram, I think Ramaphosa detests Malema, and he doesn't trust the EFF. And what little support he's been able to get recently by marginalizing people in his party will evaporate if he brings the EFF in. I think that I think it's unlikely. Not impossible, but unlikely. But here's a scary thought, and people are talking about it now, and I didn't want to talk about this, but... What about when the DA goes into coalition with the ANC? Well, I'm, this is what Helen Zilla said. Hmm. Oh, long, she said I didn't catch ago. it. <clears throat> yeah, she did. So, I mean, I, I don't mean to steal your thunder. It's obviously yeah. you're in good company if you if she's agreeing with you. She's a very experienced and smart politician she and is. one of the few who's managed to pull coalition governments together. Indeed. In the most arduous circumstances. So, and genuine liberation credentials. Yeah, absolutely. So if she says that she agrees with you or if you agree with her, that's a good thing. But she did a while ago say that that's the likeliest outcome, that the good part of the ANC, whatever that may well, be. I, that's um, pretty small. Will, 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 will have to ally itself with someone. And she said it's most likely going to be the DA yeah. and that they will then have a sufficient majority to be able to run things properly and to hopefully overcome the ideological problems that have bogged the ANC down so far, their complete lack of understanding of merit their complete lack of understanding of why catered deployment's a terrible idea. I mean, if we can just get that out of the way, we'll already have moved 10 steps in the right direction. Yeah, the problem with that, Gareth, is that uh, I understand where she's coming from. I just don't see the ANC yeah, that way. Yeah, I didn't say I agreed. But oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, 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 you, yeah. I just don't see the ANC the way. I think that what we'll get is a coalition government possibly like that, and then we'll have inside that coalition government, we'll have the good parts of the DA that want to govern, and they'll be it'll be kind of like... Not as bad, but like Zimbabwe's government of national unity. After Mugabe lost the election and refused to give up the presidency. And so they gave the MDC, the treasury, Mm -hmm. and things like that. And they restored the economy. And things went well. But they retained the police, the intelligence, security. And they still persecuted the opposition, even though they're in government with them. I'm not predicting that. What I'm saying is that um, the corruption will continue. Because part of the government will be honest. Part of the government will not be honest. And it will just – South Africa will just limp along if that's the case. The optimal scenario is this. The ANC drops below the 38% that I predicted last year. And let's say they get 33%. Mm. They can't form a coalition government. They can't get the Pan-African Congress or or the Patriotic Alliance or enough enough little parties together. To then get what it. happens? Then the DA, the Freedom Front Plus, the ACDP, the IFP, they, they solve their problems. They get together and they form a coalition government. And you go forward. But – even under that circumstance, it's going to be a bumpy road for South Africa. You have to remember Jeez. that the bureaucracy at all levels was installed by the ANC. And there are competent people in your bureaucracy, but there are a lot of incompetent, unqualified people across the provincial, the municipal, and the national governments. And they'll still be there. And they owe their loyalty to the House, not to the new government. So that will take time. So it's going to be a bumpy road for South Africa in the next few years. Um, I'll tell you what. It's, uh, I think the scariest part is this electricity thing. Over the past year, if it hadn't been for the interventions of heroic engineers at ESCOM and Andre de Ryder, who's being pillared now, your grid would have collapsed. And a collapse of the electricity grid is not so, a simple thing. All right. So what do we do with electricity? I mean, again, I'm not expecting you to solve all these problems. But everybody I encounter now has a, a, a way that they would deal with it if it was their thing. Sure. You know, if they, would, if they were empowered to sort everything out, this is what we would do. What would you do? 
Well, there's no immediate solution. First off, uh, let's look at the ANC's emergency solution, March 27 to 2021, 2,000 megawatts emergency power generation through wind turbines, uh, solar photovoltaic, and 1,220 megawatts uh, from car powership. Ah, so you, you're all for that. No, no, no. Let me just, I'm just saying that, that's their emergency <laughs> plan. If, if in fact on March 7th, the environmental ministry gives uh, car powership the go ahead to go forward and another fraudulent court case con- contesting, you know, about their contract comes up, doesn't come up, it will be another 14 to 16 months before the first kilowatt. That means it'll be three years and six months after the ANC approved an emergency plan to deliver it. Their plans don't work. So the only thing you can do in the short term is, is those who have the resources, and I've been advocating this for years, you got to go off grid. I mean, that's the reason why people have JoJo's in their property. Yeah. It's not just to save water. It's, it's so you don't have to rely on cities. Uh, you're going to have to provide your own services. Communities are going to have to do things for themselves. It's not convenient. It's not nice. And but most South Africans can't do it. people can't. That's what I, I mean, said. Most people can't. But, but every person that's able to do it that isn't on the grid anymore takes less pressure off the grid and helps those poor people out. People don't look at that. Every kilowatt that's taken off the grid puts less strain on it and is more available for those who are poor and leads to less load shedding. In the long term, what has to happen is that ESCOM should have been privatized 30 years ago. It should have been broken into regional entities that had the viable capacity to deliver power, and it should be out there, and they should be able to share power of the grid like they do in the UK and we do in North America, and sell power of the grids and share the lines and pay fees for it. And that will lead to competition. That will lead to better quality. Also, the ANC needs to abandon this, 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 this fealty to environmental lunatics from Europe. Oh, you can't burn coal. New coal-fired power plants have much cleaner scrubbers, put far less sulfur, far less carbon dioxide in the air than in the past. You have coal. Burn coal. You need yeah, but cheap- But the way they just pretend that batteries- don't oh, have yeah. any yeah like they're not yeah. environmentally uh dangerous so, so if you've got wind or or solar or anything else you still need to store that power. exactly and if you store it in batteries i'm terribly sorry to tell you a lot of those batteries contain stuff which is causing way more environmental harm when it's mined out than anything else no one everyone pretends that's just not part of the conversation well i'm not one of those people pretends I, i'm an energy yeah. industry analyst as well and i've been telling people for years look if you in South Africa, I actually encourage people to go with solar photovoltaic because of ESCOM. It makes sense. And know, because for, we get a lot of sun. Yeah, so. but, but even so, yeah. I mean, I have issues with the panels because they're not really recyclable. They, 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 a lot of them wind up in landfills. They, they claim they're good for 15 to 20 years. That's nonsense. You have so, to replace so them. So do these Europeans who the, who the government here are swearing fealty in your words to, are they just – are they, again, being – Acting with malice of forethought, or are they? Do they really believe they're doing the right thing? Do they really believe they're helping? I mean, I can't. I think imagine, there's three camps here. I can't imagine that that they aren't smart enough to have done a little bit of research for themselves. Well, I think most people don't look at the entire life cycle of things. You know, you know. Once again, in school, I learned in secondary school that you know every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You know, when you do something, there's a consequence. There's, first off, there's no such thing as green energy. Mm. Every energy pollutes in some form. Some is just less polluting. Yeah. But they don't look at the entire life cycle, and that's what's so frustrating about it. Solar panels will work for people in South Africa for various reasons. But the, the technologies you talk about for alternative energy, the best one of those that isn't talked about much is concentrated solar power, where they use the big reflectors, yeah. and they heat up the tower and the mirrors, and then they heat molten salt. And that stays warm overnight, and it generates steam and power all night long. So you don't need batteries. But those batteries are disastrous. You know, it drives me nuts when people talk about electric vehicles. Really? Do you know what mountain sides are destroyed and how many water tables are contaminated and how much carnage is done digging up rare earth elements to make those things, the coatings for wind turbines, the solar photovoltaic panels, the batteries for electric vehicles? You know, I, I saw, and, and that's just a practical environmental standpoint, but from a useful standpoint, they're at, well, you can go for 300 miles. Great. So I can drive to Ohio and then I'm stuck on the interstate because there's nowhere to charge it. Oh, but we're going to build all these power stations. Then you're going to draw power from the grid. Hey, we're using coal. No, we're using solar. Well, that's not, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, look, it, it, what irritates me is that people just look at something and they buy into it. I'll give you a quick example of this that makes a lot of sense. In Germany, back in the early 1990s, they came up with the Grüne Punkt, the green dot. And this was a voluntary industry standard where you paid fees as a manufacturer or a food producer or someone that makes, you know, wrappings and such. You paid fees, which meant that those fees we used to collect this stuff and recycle it. The plastic containers, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the, the packaging for furniture and stereos. Well, all that stuff was recycled and packaged, but then we found out a few years later that that the, there was so much plastic that they couldn't recycle it in Germany because it's not easy to recycle plastic. So they put it on barges and they shipped it to Thailand where it was put into landfills. 
So but Germans were buying these goods, virtue signaling, nim- thinking they were helping. Nimbyism. Exactly. Not in my backyard. Well, that's part of it. But they thought they were doing something good and they were being hoodwinked. And that's right. what happens yeah. with this green energy thing. People are being hoodwinked. Look, I'm all for reducing pollution. I'm a conservationist. In my view, you don't you don't piss in your own backyard. You take care of your property. You take care of the environment. You plant new trees. It's ironic you, that people who are supposedly on the right and who are the ones who are out in the country fishing, shooting, hunting, you know, growing things, often the farmers are all kind of right-wingers, you know. These are the people who the environmentalists are trying to smear as being the, the bad guys. And they're when, the ones actually taking care of it. And, and, when, and when they're not the living in inner cities, they're not driving polluting Vehicles, big all over suburban the place. SUVs. Yeah. Yeah. These are the people who actually know and understand yeah. nature probably much better than anyone who's sitting in a glass tower in New York City telling everyone else what the environment needs and doesn't. Ironic, need. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, I was a dairy farmer in high school. We had jerseys and guernseys, since I learned the value of hard work. Milking cows at five o'clock in the morning and five. That's interesting because I bet you most American kids think milk comes from the supermarket. They probably do. I think most Europeans think it comes out of Tetra Packs. <laughs> most South Africans even. Most, South, most Europeans think it comes out of Tetra Packs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's true. All right. So when you, when you open your phone up and when you switch it on in the morning and you look at what the news is, um, what are your sources? Mm. What do you, who do you trust? Because this is a big problem for so many of us. Sure. I grew up in the mainstream media. I believed things that were put to me on the news because I had no reason not to believe them. And mostly... The news media had this, I suppose, a, an, a universal, universal idea of conscience where they, they felt like if we don't give people the right information, it'll burn us in the long run because we'll lose credibility sure. and everything else. Something's happened in the last, I don't know where it is, probably the last 12 years. I'd say at least 20 years, since 9-11. You think, you think longer? Since than, 9-11. Since 9-11 in your, your opinion. But something has changed where now these people are not to be trusted. They've shown themselves to be a part of the problem, they're not trying to give us objective news, and now they want to punish us for realizing that about them. Hmm. No, I agree with 100%. So my sources, listen, I've always read widely. I used to have 43 magazine subscriptions before this lockdown stuff started. I subscribed. I got some academic, I used to teach at universities, so you get academic rates, which helps, so I could afford that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Bill Gates, but but I could afford 43 because I had the academic subscription rates. Um, and I read everything under the sun. I read European press, uh, South African press, American press, Australian, um, and uh, well, the English in Japan, there isn't much English, but that as well. So I read stuff from around the world. And um, a lot of those subscriptions have died because those things have folded. They've gone out of business. But what I, on a sure. daily basis, I, I pay for subscriptions because what I do is I look at news sources and I report the stories that I think are interesting for my audience or at least interesting to me. And it usually pans out. They like it. And my sources in South Africa are ones that people don't trust because what I do is I take the story and then I point out the motivation or I point out the, the obvious propagandizing. I mean, when you write a news story and you start throwing adjectives in, that's not news. That's op-ed. When you start using adjectives to describe something, you're not reporting. The what news. do you think of Chat GPT and OpenAI? Chat GPT is interesting, but be careful. Uh, the results have tended to be a bit far more left of center than people realize. More, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm, if you I'm ask being generous, it, I'm yeah, being generous. if you ask it anything political, it gives you this long thing about how it's not political. But <laughs> it's a you, disclaimer. But you ask it a political question that has a directly political answer, and it gives you a very left of center answer it's it's clearly yeah. i mean there are overrides for that if you're really smart you can kind of get the ai to question itself mm-hmm. and often like if you ask it a question more than two or three times it comes up with different answers and you point out to it that it's lying and it says uh, no no i'm just trying to give you the most you know obvious uh, most straightforward answer and i i endeavor to give you truth and objectivity it's obviously you know, no, I agree. Being programmed by people, which is where the problem, and is. that's where the problem. It's not like it's just in, in, mm. inherent. It's, it's it's people are doing it. But in South Africa, my news sources, uh, I, I use News Twenty Four. Um, so of course, I read Adrian Basson and Melanie Favert and all the others, <laughs> none of whom I agree with for the most part. Um, uh, there are a few people there that actually do report the news on that, that site. And of course, that's a part of a bigger 
you know, NASPERS and all that. And so they don't know things mm-hmm. like rapport. The Afrikaans sites, I read those, but my Afrikaans is not good enough <laughs> that I rely on a lot. I mean, I understand it, so I read those. Sure. Um, also, the Daily Maverick, uh, which I thought was a brilliant publication, but has begun to trend, trend a bit left as far as I'm concerned. I'm getting concerned. But their investigative reporting is still pretty good, I think. Um, the Daily Maverick, I thought was a – or not Daily Maverick. The, the Mail and Guardian, I thought yes. was a brilliant publication 15 years ago. Now I have grave concerns about its level of reporting. It seems to be much – less objective than it used to be, in my view. Um, independent Online, mm-hmm. uh, that I also read. And uh, a number of other ones that come up. But those are the main sources that I look at for the news every day in South Africa to see what's being reported on. I don't care for Twitter. It's a toxic space, but I do have accounts on there. And I do go to Twitter for breaking news because someone's always on the ground just putting a video up. And what I typically do is bring it up, um, attribute it to the source, and then mm. I will analyze it from my perspective. Uh, in the States, um, the usual ones, the Washington Compost, the Post, um, the, uh, the New York Slimes, the New York Times. Um, uh, I also – Wall Street I, Journal. I do have the Wall Street Journal as well, subscription to that. And then I also um, – these are all online, not print mm-hmm. versions because mm-hmm. uh, people don't deliver these things anymore. Also, I, I uh, have the Epic Times, which is a uh, center or center-right publication, which is pretty good. And then the Washington Times, which is to the right. And uh, what else? So that, that's the big ones. But I look at all of my – I try to find diverse sources. So like uh, also I look – because I do global news. Uh, so I look at Al Jazeera frequently. And from my perspective, Al Jazeera, when they report on Africa, relatively objective, good stories. Yeah. When they report in the Middle East, forget it. It's all propaganda. When sure. they report in the U.S. and Europe, it's all propaganda. And then in Europe, the Guardian. <laughs> I read the Guardian every day. You do? Uh, it, it induces abdominal pain. Uh, yes, wow. I do. Okay. Well, You're but, braver Gareth, than me. Gareth, you got to understand that I'm refuting a lot of what so people – I'm saying this is what they're saying, but this is what's really going on. And people can decide for themselves. I want them to think critically. Well, look, you and I, uh, we always have too little time, Yeah. Um, but it's great to see you and please keep doing your good work. And I encourage people to follow you on social media and everywhere else. See what you're reading, see what you're writing, see who you're talking to. There's lots of really cool stuff. Listen to what you're saying on your podcast. There's plenty more uh, where this came from. And Chris Wyatt, thank you very much. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Gareth. Great to see you again. Good stuff. Cliffcentral.com.